Well, thank you guys. I want to thank our praise team and I want to thank all of those who are uh, making this ministry possible today and coming this morning and making sure we were able to go on live on YouTube and Facebook. And so I want to thank them for being here today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You know, all of us have our favorite Bible verses. Uh, just to mention a few of mine. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Ephesians 2.8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, verse 9, least any man should boast. Verse 10 says, and we are his workmanship created unto Christ Jesus for good works. Romans ten thirteen: whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans three twenty three: of course, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans six twenty three: for the wages of sin is death. But the verse that's ministered to me the most for the least past 10 years has been Romans 8, verse 28. I know I've preached from this verse many times, but uh, 10 years ago, perhaps a little over under 10, during a tornado here in Phil Campbell, this verse, God really gripped my heart with this verse. And I've referred to it from time to time. And I want to share it with you this morning as I preach a sermon that I've just simply entitled Living the Certainty of God's Promises. Living the Certainty of God's Promises. Look, if you will, at Romans 8, verse 28. Reading from the New King James. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purposes. Look at that verse again. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purposes. I want us to look at... Um, Two important words at the beginning of that verse. Well, really, the conjunction there, and, and then look at we know. I believe that God wants every believer to live as an optimist. Someone said it takes an optimist and a pessimist to make up this world, and I guess that's true. They went along, they went ahead and said that it takes an optimist to create an airplane, but it takes a pessimist to create the parachute. So I guess you got to have both, an optimist and a pessimist. But I believe God wants us, all of us as his people, to be optimists. I believe he wants every believer to live as an optimist. We are to be hopeful. We're to be confident about the future. We're always to expect a favorable outcome. We're to be optimists. 
And there's a biblical word that's akin to our word optimist, and that word is hope. One of the first things that someone should notice about us and our lives as a believer is our hope. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks your reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Our hope needs to be demonstrated. People need to be able to, they need to be able to see our hope every day in our daily life, at work, or at school, or wherever we might be. They, they should be able to come up and say, listen, I want to know why you're so hopeful, why you're such an optimist. Always remember that a, a depressed, dejected, dispirited person is a poor example of the Christian faith. We're to be optimistic. We're to have hope. We're to be hopeful people, optimistic people. And so we're to live as we have grasped the reality of Romans 8.28. For this we know, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. So don't forget, if our hope that sets us apart is not shown to others, they'll have, they'll have no hope. We probably are, God uses us to, to light the fire of hope in the lives of people. And so our life is to be a life of hope. I'm not speaking of wishful thinking. I'm not speaking about being unreasonable or irrational. Uh, I'm talking about optimism. I'm talking about confidence. I'm talking about confidence in the future that's grounded in realism, grounded in reality. Our hope. Now the question is, how am I as a Christian, how am I as a believer, how am I going to face life with all of these problems? How can I face them as a tough-minded optimist? I mean, we're, we're having a worldwide pandemic. How can I be optimistic about that? Uh, we're having, uh, you know, problems. People are, that's not the only problems people are facing. They're facing heart disease and cancer. And how can I have hope in sickness? How can I find hope in financial distress? How can I find hope in losing my job? How can I see that? How can I be confident? and experience those things at the same time. Well, I'm leaning on the promise of Romans 8, 28. And this we know, that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. So what must I do first? If you're taking notes, first of all, you have to decide if this is a promise or a cliché. Now, I have to decide to begin with is if this is a promise or if this is a cliché. A cliché is an expression or an ideal that's been used over and over again until it's lost its meaning. So this morning, do you think Romans 8.28 is just a cliché or do you see it as a biblical promise? Do you really believe this verse or is it just a cliché?
I know oftentimes uh, you'll hear athletes quote different scriptures. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, favorite one. Um, and they use, uh, they use these favorite verses and they use them so often that they become cliches. And so we hear Romans 8.28 read a lot, quoted a lot. And the cliche is an expression, an idea. It's been used over until it just over and over until it's just lost its meaning. But do you see it as a cliche or do you see it as a promise? Now just think for a moment of what the problems that you're going through right now. Well, we're going through the pandemic. I've mentioned that. Um, you know, you're saying, well, I've got problems. This is causing me problems. This pandemic's causing me problems. I mean, I'm out of Clorox wipes and hand sanitizer. I don't have a mask to wear. can't find any online. I'm a vulnerable person. I'm over 65 years old, have some health issues. You know, we can't attend church right now. Hopefully that's going to change next week. Uh, social Social distancing is a problem. I really don't like that. I have these health issues. I have, you know, I have a child that has an addiction problem or maybe a spouse. Lost my job, gone through a divorce, have all these unpaid bills, have all of those problems. You may have one or many of those problems or some that I didn't even mention. But consider this. What if you knew that all of those things that you've just thought of all those things that you're anxious about, all those things that you worried about, wonder if you knew that all of those were going to be okay. They were going to be good. What if Romans 8.28 was really more than a cliche to you and suddenly it became a biblical promise that this we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. If you knew that was a promise instead of a cliche, and if you saw it as a promise instead of a cliche, it would change your whole attitude. Now I want you to notice those two words. I said and was a conjunction, but notice and in verse 28, and we know. Now notice the primary subject is we, the pronoun we, and we know. The primary verb is what? Primary verb is know. Therefore, Romans 8, 28 begins with a statement of certitude. It begins with a statement of certainty. This we know. Now that means this verse is a spirit-certified life promise. This is a spirit-certified life promise from God Himself. This verse is an unshakable truth. It's, it is very important that we claim the promise, this promise, with total confidence. I believe with all of my heart that all these things that I'm going through right now and all these problems that I have, God is going to work out good in every one of these. In other words, we don't 
hypothesize, we don't rationalize, we don't fabricate, we don't speculate, we don't hallucinate, we don't toss and turn, we just simply know. You say, well, Brother Sammy, how do we know? Well, we know because we know God's power. And we know God doesn't lie. And we know His power. We know that this is certain. This is for sure. This is fail-safe. This is inevitable. This is God-guaranteed. And this is an attitude that we find throughout Scripture. Now that word know is found 1,098 times from Genesis to Revelation. 1 John 5.13 1 John 5.13 simply says 1 John 5.13 says this, listen. It says, These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Does that give you confidence? Does that give you assurance? That you can know that you have eternal life? That once God saves you, you won't lose your eternal life? How do you define eternal life? Well, it's life without end. You can't even define eternal life and say you can lose your salvation. And God says here in His Word, I've written these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Psalm 100. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. And we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Know that the Lord, He's God. Now, that's a promise. That's true. And we know. And so, the promise, is it a promise or a cliche? You have the certainty of the promise. And then third, we live out the promise by faith. How do you live out your promise? This promise, you live out your promise by faith. Um, Faith is the ability to tackle life with confidence. That's faith. Faith is knowing the promises of God are as real as the circumstance you find yourself in. Faith is believing God will do what He says He'll do. Faith is not just sticking our head in the sand and hoping for the best. Faith is confronting the reality of, sli- of uh, the realities of life from God's perspective instead of our perspective. The point is, we are to live in the realm of certainty. We are to live in the realm of hope, knowing the promises of God. But the Bible's hope is not the hope of the world. It's a different type of hope. I hear people say, well, the Bible doesn't say that you can be saved. It says for you to have a hope of your salvation. Really? The Bible hope is not the hope so, hope of the world. Some people say, well, I hope I'm saved. I've had that shared so many times. The Bible's hope is is not synonymous with maybe. 
But biblical hope is sure and certain and expected. I like what Robert Morgan said in an illustration called Bible Hope. He says, pretend you're at a ball game and you have the super ability to see one hour into the future. And you know for certain that in the closing seconds, your team will kick a field goal to win the game and the game will end in the fourth quarter and you'll be the winner. You jump to your feet and you cheer, you cheer for your team. And the opposing team scores back-to-back touchdowns. But we don't get discouraged because we know that everything will turn out well in the end. Now listen, we don't know all the plays. And we don't know the penalties. And we haven't seen the setbacks and how they would mark off the yardage and penalties. But we know what the final score is. We've had the ability to see and to look and see the end of the game. And we know in the end we win. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. We have the ability to see the end. We don't know what's going to happen before we get there, but we know the end of the game is going to be good. Listen, Christians don't live in the mites and the maybes. We know our Redeemer lives. We know we have eternal life. We know that we're persuaded that nothing can separate us from His love. We know that all things work together for our good. Now, I don't know what you're going through. Medically, financially, a loved one in a crisis, child on drugs, I just listed a few, a husband with addiction problems, relationship problems, loss of a loved one, loss of a job, this goes on and on. Maybe there's some big mistake you've made in your life and you're suffering from a lot of guilt. But listen, don't forget, in the end, Romans 8, 28 wins. Let me close with this. There's a verse that serves polar opposite to Romans 8, 28, and it's found in the book of Genesis. And you have Jacob, who was an old man. And Jacob suffered a series of blows and, and knockdowns. His son had, sons had caused him trouble. His dearest son, Joseph, had been killed by a wild animal. And, and uh, he was uh, facing, uh, Jacob was facing all this economic ruin. He's facing a famine. His sons had gone to Egypt to look for food. And now his youngest son, Benjamin, was headed to Egypt to help free his brother, and Jacob was kindly overwhelmed by all of this. Listen to what he says in Genesis 42, verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Notice that. All of these things are against me. 
But in Romans chapter 8, 28, Paul said, all these things work together for the good. So what's the difference? Genesis 42, 36, that's from our perspective. Look at the tornado in the past. It was all against us. It's against us. Buildings gone. Families lost their homes. Families lost their loved ones. Oh, it was so against us. Our health is against us. Our job is against us. All these things are against me. Genesis 42, verse 36. But in Romans 8, 28, that's from God's perspective. What's the outcome? All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. Now all that was against Jacob really worked together for his good. If you remember, Joseph became prime minister of Egypt. The famine, famine reunited the father and his sons. The brothers all reconciled. And so how do you handle a pandemic? How do you handle that? Well, you begin at the beginning of the problem because you have to choose your attitude. Always remember this. At the beginning of every problem, you must choose your attitude. Either all these things are against me or all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. Let me close with this. Story is told about the songwriter John Peterson. He wrote some songs I mentioned. It, it took a miracle. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Surely goodness and mercy. When John was a teenager, he had a beautiful voice. He always wanted to be a famous vocalist. He became known as the singing farm boy. He soon got a job in a factory, and it was a noisy factory. So noisy that he lost his hearing. He spent every day singing at the top of his lungs until he ruined his voice. He damaged his vocal cords beyond repair. His voice would never be beautiful again. And he said this, and I quote, I had the voice to thrill people, but suddenly it was gone. He said, that's when Romans 8, 28 kicked in. All things, even a ruined voice. He said that if he had not lost his beautiful voice, he would have never developed as a writer. And he put a song in millions of other mouths. And he created a reservoir of music that will glorify God for generations to come. Something so terrible worked out so good. As we have our invitation to him this morning, I want you to think about the problems that you have. I want you to think about your burdens and your heartaches and your disappointments, all of those things in your life. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Are any of these out of reach of Romans 8, 28? 
Because you see, that is God's guarantee to all who love Him and all who are called according to His purpose. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we've had this morning to reflect upon my favorite verse. Lord, so many years I just, I had to, I used this as a cliche. But Lord, it's a promise. And when I finally accepted it as a promise, it changed my situation altogether, my circumstances altogether. I pray for every person today, Lord, who's, who have tuned in to this program. Lord, I pray that you've spoken to their hearts and let them know this is just not for a certain group of people. But you say this promise is for all who are called according to your purpose. We know what your purpose is. Your purpose is for everyone to receive you into their life, to have eternal life. And Lord, today I pray as people have listened, there's some out there going through so many, so many problems. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. Like Jacob, they feel these things are all against me. But Father, you can take those things and make them turn out to be good. And I pray today they would humble their heart. And they would ask you to forgive them. They would repent and turn from their sin and turn to you. Have this mind change about you, that you are Lord Jesus Christ. That you have all power and authority and control to make a difference in their life here on earth and then eternally. I pray today they would turn from their sin, turn to you, and believe the gospel that you came and you died on the cross for their sins. You were buried. You arose again on the third day. One day you're coming back. And if they would believe the gospel and receive you into their life, you will forgive their sins and you will give to them salvation, eternal life. You say it like this in your word. As many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And I pray today that people will turn to you, overcome, overwhelmed by all these things, and ask you, Lord, to take what they're going through and turn it out to the good. Then we live by faith until that comes about. Thank you for what you're going to do in our time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. As Terry leads us in an invitation hymn, I pray that you'll take this time and just humble your heart and ask Christ to forgive you. Come into your life and save you. And believe the gospel that he came, he died, he was buried, and he arose again. The good news of all of that is he did that for you and me that we wouldn't have to. Would you receive that free gift today? As Terry leads us, you sing with us.